0: There we go. All right. Well, welcome to One Sixteen Bible Church, Wataga. Man, it's nice to see all you smiling and happy and ready to worship the Lord. And um, you know, I uh, I always, when I get here the, on the mornings that I preach, I'm always a little nervous and jittery, and then, but uh, by the time worship ends, um, God is always faithful to to steady my my. My spirit and, and calm my nerves, and and I mean it. It doesn't matter if if the worship is led by a former rock star, which we used to have, um, or by a college kid, or by a couple who love the Lord. When the worship is true, the worship is good, um, and praise God for that. Um, so, time to open our Bibles. Or turn on your Bible apps To Titus chapter 2 And brother Jeff a couple of weeks ago um, Brother you sprinted through some through a big chunk of Titus <laughs> um, Man I had trouble catching my breath after that one But it was great Um but yeah, Titus Titus chapter two and we'll be picking up in verse eleven. Um, Titus chapter two, verse eleven. And we're gonna read through to the end of the chapter. Found out last time I preached at about four or five verses. That's about my sweet spot, you know. Too much more than that, and we're gonna be here until everybody's hungry. Um, too, too much less than that, and you guys are gonna just just be grateful that I stopped talking. So so. Four or five verses it is. Alright, so Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. If you are able, I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. Again, that is Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 11. And the word of God says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men zealous for good deeds these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority let no one disregard you let's pray heavenly father lord we come before your throne god to just give you the glory lord and to And to ask alongside your servant who wrote, who penned Psalm 51 by the inspiration of your spirit, Lord, restore unto us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with your righteous right arm. God, that's our plea today, Lord, for it is so easy for each and every one of us to get bogged down in our Monday through Friday lives, God, where we can just become so overwhelmed by the cares of this world. God, that they seem to overshadow our joy in Christ. And Lord, let that not be. But Lord, this morning, restore unto us that joy. And Lord, by the reading of your word and 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 the study of it, Lord, that we are about to embark upon together as your people under the the, gui- the guiding hand of your Spirit, God, we pray that you would show us Jesus and thereby restore unto us that joy we need it, Father. We need you, Father. We can't find the joy on our own, Lord, so we come to you to grant what you require. We love you, Father. Be with us this morning. Speak to us. Speak through us to one another by your Spirit. And in your Spirit, unite us in truth and in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Titus chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 if you recall from the last time I was up here um, we went a little bit uh, talked a little bit about what the book of Titus is it's a letter written by the apostle Paul to uh, one of his protégés a young man by the name of Titus Titus was probably in his twenties or thirties younger man Um, and Paul had placed him or left him in Crete, to basically oversee the church um, and raise up elders before moving on and, and really um, handle any issues that came up during that process. And this is a letter that Paul is writing to Titus to encourage him, to embolden him um, in the grace in the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, he actually starts um, reopens the letter, you know, after the. Pretty typical salutation. Um, we see him talking about the qualification of elders, the type of men Titus is to appoint, um, which Brother Jeff went over a couple of weeks ago. And then following that, we see um, expressed um, after the qualifications of elders the really the duties and the responsibilities and the character that should define the people of God who are not in leadership, who are who are not being raised up to lead the church after Titus departs, but are, in actuality, members of the congregation, Christians. And that is, a, that is a, should be a very clear reminder from God to his people that just because I don't hold a title or a position in God's church doesn't mean all I do is show up and then go home. But instead, I have duties and responsibilities, even regardless of how old I am. And uh, Brother Jeff also went over those a couple of weeks ago um, by referencing um, 1 Timothy as well, which was a wonderful sermon. Um, And it's up on uh, Sermon Audio and a couple of podcast uh, streaming services, so I recommend you go listen to it if you haven't heard it yet. And if you have, listen to it again, because you probably need to hear it again. And I do too, and that's okay. Um, but that brings us to verse 11 of chapter 2 which says for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men something very worrisome can happen if you take this verse out of context and can anybody guess what it is I'll just tell you it's universalism it is universalism this verse has been yanked out of context and has been abused and twisted and distorted To support the damnable doctrine of universalism which states that eventually anyone and everyone everywhere in all times will be saved. Regardless of whether or not they ever confessed Jesus as Lord. And that flies in the face of so much of the rest of scripture and even the very context of this verse here that it's not just appalling it's not just disgusting my friends that is blasphemy to take this to take this verse out of its context and say see god says everyone's going to be saved no that is not what god said that's not that's not what paul said for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all men and this all men Remember, Paul is coming from himself from a very mixed background. He is born a Jew. He is raised with the best Greek education. He is a Roman citizen. So he's kind of this like all worlds converge in this one guy. And he's saying that the grace of God appearing, bringing salvation to all men, means not just to one person. Type of person. He's saying, salvation didn't just come to the Jews. Salvation didn't just come to the Crete's, who are your particular context, Titus. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all types of people, to any and every type of people, so that we can we can see. On the last day, surrounding the throne, a people made up of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This is what Paul is saying here. He's not saying anyone and everyone is going to be saved regardless of if they ever even mention Jesus Christ in a positive way or not. Quite the opposite. He's He's saying the gospel, though it is exclusive to those who believe, is not exclusive based upon... Your geography It's not exclusive based upon your heritage. It's not exclusive based upon how much money you have or don't have. It's not exclusive based upon where you come from. The the salvation of God does not depend on any of those things. One of those things doesn't qualify you to be counted among the people of God. None of those things do. Because it's not on him who wills. It's not on him who runs. But it's on him who has mercy. And this mercy is extended to every type of person. I mean, friends, let's just be flat honest here. Look around you in this very room. We are all very different types of people. And yet God has been pleased to bring us all together. And not just not just in the family of God, universal or in the abstract sense, but in this particular local congregation He has been pleased to bring us together for His namesake, for His namesake, and for the sanctification of each and every one of us. And let's be honest, friends, sometimes sanctification, it stings a little. Sometimes, sometimes it rubs us to the point to where we feel a little raw. Sometimes sanctification is a process that's so painful, you think, "Boy, I'd rather go anywhere else than go back to church." Don't mind you've all thought it, and that's okay, because that process of sanctification is going to change even that thought, and God is going to use this process of sanctification to make us more like Christ. And so the grace of God appearing, um, and obviously he's talking about Jesus Christ coming down uh, in the flesh, as one, looking like one of us, putting on himself humanity, bringing this salvation to all types of men, so that right here we see, even after qualifications of elders, even after duties of, of church congregants, um, young or old, regardless, we have here Paul bringing it right back to who? To Jesus Christ. Because that's who it's about. Because you can get so bogged down and, oh, I'm not qualified because I fail here. I fail here. I fail here. Or, oh, I'm supposed to do this, this, and this, and I haven't done a single one of those since I woke up this morning. And Paul is saying, you are putting too much, don't put too much emphasis on your duties and responsibilities. Don't put too much emphasis on even on your qualifications, these are there obviously for a reason. And they're there for a good reason. But if that's what you're hanging your hat on, if that's what you're measuring your worth by, if that if that is your if that's the standard you're looking at and saying, if I don't meet that, I'm worthless, Paul is saying, you've got all backwards, friend. Because it's about Christ. It's about Jesus. So the grace of God Jesus Christ himself has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And friends, we could camp out here for probably another 45 minutes to an hour, but I understand you probably have lunch plans. We'll move on to verse 12. Um, But we will One last thing, just this grace of God bringing salvation to all men, final thing. That's cause for celebration. That's cause for rejoicing. The fact that God hasn't pinhold or narrowed his salvation to just one person or one type of person. Friends, that means, you know who could be saved? Even you. Even me. And that should give us joy. And that should give us cause for celebration. So, God, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men and amen. Verse twelve, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and we'll stop right there for now. So this grace of God doesn't just bring us salvation, which is uh, which is um, in this instance being used as um, as a synonym for justification, which is uh, the. Deliverance from the penalty of sin. We see here in verse 12 this very same grace, this very same saving grace, this very same justifying grace is also training grace, it's instructing grace, it's teaching grace. This very same grace that has brought salvation to all men also instructs us to deny ungodliness. Your translation may say godlessness. That's okay. We're talking about the same thing. To deny ungodliness and worldly desires. So the very same grace from God, the very same grace of God, the very same grace that is God in the flesh doesn't just deliver us from the penalty of sin and thereby freeing us to sin as much as we please. How does, how does that old uh, that old adage go? Free from the law, oh happy condition, I can sin all I want and still have remission? It's false. It's wrong. That ain't real. Because what that saving grace does, it doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin it instructs us and trains us and guides us and teaches us how to be free from the power of sin as we progress upon the road of the Christian life think about that god didn't just he didn't just look down and say okay you're forgiven do whatever you want that would be gross like That would be to, to, to be free to do nothing more than to continue sinning as much as I want without consequence. That's, that's, not a, that's not a just God. That's not even a loving God. That's a God who couldn't care less. But what does he do instead? Instead, he uses the same grace that saves us from the penalty of our actions to continue saving us from the evilness and the stupidity of our actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He draws us out of that old lifestyle. He brings us out from the old from the ways of the old man. And he puts on us slowly, meticulously, but surely the ways of the new man, the new creation that is in Jesus Christ. And praise God, by the way, that the process of sanctification isn't instantaneous. Because could you imagine being confronted with all of your sinfulness at one time? Just the weight of that would be crippling. Because we are far more sinful than we are even willing to admit to ourselves, much less than we even realize. And to be confronted with all of that would be be to send us into despair. But God, in His grace and mercy, He reveals to us, as we progress in sanctification and holiness, He slowly reveals to us the areas in our life that still need to be dealt with. Process, he grants us the grace to deal with it by his spirit. My friends, that is beautiful. The fact that God doesn't, doesn't cripple us with our exceeding sinfulness is another reason we should give him all the honor and all the glory. And so this saving faith instructs us to deny godliness and worldly desires. Your translation, if it's a little older, may say worldly lusts, And that's okay because we're talking about the same thing. It doesn't have have to be sexual in nature. These worldly desires, these worldly lusts are chasing after anything and everything that isn't of God, from God, or leads you to God. Or even chasing things that are beautiful and wonderful gifts from God, but doing so to the point where you have elevated the gift above the one who has given it. You have now taken this good, pleasing desire of God and you have twisted it and turned it into an idol and something that rather than being a grace to you from God is now a hindrance to you in your walk. And this this is what we're talking about here is that the saving grace instructs us to deny the ungodliness, as Brother Josh mentioned earlier, the ungodliness of our former days. My friends, we're not that far removed from the person we used to be time wise. For most of us it's a matter of years, for some of us it might just be a matter of months or even weeks possibly even days, we're not that far removed from, from the things that God has rescued us from. And it is too easy. It is too easy, friends, to go down the road of license and seeing your salvation as a get-out-of-hell-free card. And my prayer for you this morning is that, is that you have not taken free grace and make it so cheap. That's my prayer this morning, and not just for you, friends. That's, that's my prayer for me, too. I don't have it figured out. If, and my prayer for, for 116 Bible Church Wataga, the 116 Bible Church Fellowship and Network of Churches, that are not just across this country but even in, uh, even across the, the ocean is that we do not take the free grace of God and cheapen it to the point that it is nothing more than a license to sin. And this is what Paul is instructing Titus against. Not just for the sake of Titus. Not even just for the sake of this church in Crete but for the sake of the church through time and space. Paul is instructing, whether or not he knew, I have no clue if he knew what God was going to do with this letter. But what Paul is doing here, what God is doing through Paul is instructing the church, universal the church across the globe and that spans centuries don't keep the frequency because there's Free grace leads to salvation and eternal life. Cheap grace merely damns you and is but a torch to light the path to heaven. So the same grace instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts or desires and to do what instead? To live sensibly Righteously and godly in the present age. So this grace doesn't just tell, tell us what not to do. It doesn't just grow us out of the things we shouldn't do. It grows us into the things we have been called to do and the things that have been prepared for us from before the foundation of the world. And that is to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And in this present age is actually, it is going it is, if it wasn't clear, he was talking about sanctification for before, clearly he is now. But this actually also sets up what's about to come after this verse. Because he's, he's going to talk about the how we're supposed to live in the present age in light of what's coming in the age to come and in the meantime we don't just stop doing the things we used to do we start doing the things we should do we start doing those things I mean to be quite honest those things that once this life is over once this world has come to its end as has been foretold in the book of Revelation once that happens we will be doing and living in such a way as to more fully and completely and better reflect the holiness and love of God in our lives to one another. Why? Because we'll be doing so as glorified beings living directly in His presence. And friends, to be quite honest, Paul is saying start practicing some of that now so by the time you get there you don't spend your first century in culture shock. He's saying we start here and the starting here is the evidence of what is to come and because and that is only because this can only be done by the by the grace of God and what is that grace of God it is that grace that has appeared bringing salvation to all men and instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and instead teaching us to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age while we are here while we are together, while we are separated from God in a physical sense, not in his direct immediate presence we begin here and it is brought to fruition by him there So I encourage you to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Now some very important things happened in verse 13 in reference to the context of this passage. As as I briefly alluded to earlier the the, the power, the strength the, in, the enablement to live sensibly righteously and godly lives in the present age is only by living life in light of the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus Paul is saying here the only way you can have the strength, you can have the courage, you can have the even the ability to live this life, to reflect Christ as, as Christ lived when He walked the earth, to reflect Him. The only way you can do that, friends, is by looking forward to the blessed hope that is the, that is that belongs to those who are in Christ Jesus. And what is that blessed hope that blessed hope is his return. It's his coming. So what do we have here? We have in verse 11 Paul is saying, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, past, first coming. And in verse 13 he's saying he's saying, we look for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, future second coming. So what is Paul saying here? Between this coming and between this coming, what are we doing here? He's saying, well, to be quite honest, you are being sanctified. You are being made less like the person you were when God found you. And let's be honest, that person wasn't all that great. And being made more into the image of Christ Jesus. Jesus. So that when he comes, he recognizes his people because they look like him. That is mind-blowing. Think about that. That is mind-blowing. We live this life in the here and now only because of the hope of the life that is to come. And my friends, this is... I think Paul is quite clearly alluding to actually a passage we went over in Romans when we uh, when we were going through that book, where Paul is talking about this this eternal life beginning here, and when you cross over from this life into the next through the process we call death, that that life doesn't stop it goes it continues and the the blessed hope is not necessarily the knowledge that we will see those whom we love again as wonderful and as true as that is the blessed hope is the returning of Jesus Christ and spending eternity, eternity with him together forever and getting to do that in the community of the people that he himself has saved. That he has saved for himself. Knowing that not only is this Christian life, its you don't spend it alone here. You're not going to spend it alone there either. Because you're going to be surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses that you can only you can only imagine here. You're going to be able to see him there. And together, rather than our focus being on on high-fiving Paul and, and giving David a fist bump for all he did and, and as great as all that stuff is, we're going to be spending that eternity worshiping and serving the one true living God. The one true living God. The one who by the very power of the words of his mouth spoke the universe into existence and yet decided to set his love upon me. Upon you. If anybody in the history of ever had a reason or an excuse to not be bothered by the piddly things of my life, it's God. And yet, instead of separating himself from me, he turned to look at me through the lens of his son Jesus Christ and by his sacrifice and set his love upon me. And Christian, he did that for each and every one of us who goes by the name of Christian. By each and every one of us who claims the name of Christ and is, in a very real sense, continuing in the verse 12 lifestyle, coming out of ungodliness and worldly desires, turning away from those, and turning to living sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age. That's the first thing Paul did in verse 13. That was amazing. The second thing he does, and this, this is where all the naysayers come in and they'll say, see, Titus wasn't written by Paul because the Christology is too high. And what does that mean? Well, at the end of verse 13, he, in no uncertain terms, refers to Jesus Christ as our God and Savior. This little statement at the end of verse 13 is the most explicit example of the high Christology or the high view of Christ that existed in the early church that we have in the pages of the Bible. Because here Paul doesn't allude to Christ being God. He doesn't reference God the Father and then Christ Jesus the Son as if they are one being He flat out says it. And he does so clearly and in no uncertain terms. Right here we have a pure example that the view of Jesus Christ as God did not come later. This view was held from the earliest stages of the church's development because this is what the gospel is the gospel is that Christ Jesus is God our savior without that there is no gospel if Christ Jesus is only a man then his perfect life assuming such a thing is possible for just a man was good enough for just him And if Christ Jesus is only God and was not man, then his sacrifice on our behalf didn't mean anything because he wasn't one of us. The fact that Christ Jesus is both God and our Savior means that he was both and, and that because of that, his sacrifice was not just good enough for him, it was good enough for all those for whom he died because its value is infinite, because he is God. And it was for us because he was man. And we don't often think about this, but Christ choosing to put on human flesh, that didn't stop. Like, he he didn't take it off, the human flesh. Like, he's still wearing it. It's glorified human flesh. But he's still wearing it. And thereby still representing us before the throne of God the Father, taking our petitions to him. My friends, this is the blessed hope. This is it. This is what God has given us. And though it can be stated in so few words, the truth and the reality and the magnitude of what that means could never be fully explored or explained. Because this is the blessed hope that the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now we have here in verse 14 a pretty good compare and contrast scenario. Give me just one moment, I'm sorry. We have a very good compare and contrast situation going on here where where Christ Jesus, our great God and Savior, whose second coming is our blessed hope, who is the very grace of God that appeared bringing salvation to all men, bringing us out of the old life and into the new life, gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed, To redeem us from every lawless deed, from every act of lawlessness, from everything, every act we do that breaks the law of God. To do what instead? To purify for himself a people for his own possession. And what is the earmark of this people that belong to him? They are zealous For good deeds. Here we have Paul summing up everything we've just been talking about. This right here. Verse 14. Our great God and Savior Christ Jesus gave himself to redeem us out of lawless deeds. And into good deeds. And what good deeds are those? As was mentioned previously, these are the good deeds that were prepared for God's people before the foundation of the world these good deeds they're not you don't got to come up with them on your own you don't got to try to think of them they're, they're not they're not something that like oh so you could have done that but you you didn't because you didn't even think about it that, that's those aren't the good deeds the good deeds are the ones God has saved you to, and he's planned for you those are the good deeds he has them mapped out he has them written out for you for your life and as his child as one of the people who has been purified for his own possession you will accomplish those good deeds because the grace of God that appeared bringing salvation to all men is instructing us out of ungodliness and worldly lusts and desires and into sensible, righteous and godly living And he is doing this by the light of the hope of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ and his appearance. My friends, it all goes together. It all goes together and this right here sums it up. He purified for himself a people for his own possession. You don't have to wait until until you feel like you're good enough. Because I got a little spoiler alert for you. That's never going to happen. You're never going to be good enough. Not one of us will ever be good enough. And there's a reason for that. That's because we're fallen simple human beings who are living according to the image of our first father, Adam. So, what did Jesus do? He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. You couldn't do it. He knew you couldn't do it. That was the point. The point was to get you to the point to where you finally figured out you couldn't do it. And, by the way, because we can't do it so much, we're, we're too blinded to the fact that we can't do it. That, that's how blind we are. That, that's that's the, the depth of our inability is that we don't know that we can't do it. So the grace of God comes and he opens our eyes bringing salvation to all men and he himself purifies for himself the people for his own possession saving us out of our lawless deeds and for good deeds. Verse 15 These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, these are Paul, clearly Paul's torrent uh, instructions to Titus. Um, and why does he end it this way? Oh, I think it, I think it's pretty clear what Paul is saying here is that what I've just given you in these few verses—they they weren't verses at the time—in these few words is the gospel. And it is the very thing you need to carry with you every single day. Not just when you gather together as the body. Not just when you come together to perform some function as a local church body. Not just when you're getting ready to come up there and present the word of God you take this truth with you everywhere, every day. Especially when you come together because if there is one thing, brothers and sisters, that unifies the body of Christ, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We could disagree over everything else we could disagree over we could disagree over the style of music we should play we, should, we could disagree over the color of the non-existent carpet should be it would, I don't know how many colors that comes up we could disagree over whether or not the assigned gifts are for today or, or not we could disagree over every other little thing but what unifies the body of Christ Is the agreement and the acknowledgement of the truth of the gospel of Christ. So Paul says, These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And my friends, Paul isn't just talking about, isn't just talking to Timothy. God, through Paul, is talking to every single one of us here. My friends, when you go from this place and when you come back together, take with you the gospel of Christ and be ready to speak it and exhort it and reprove, and, and reprove those who contradict it in light of the gospel. And let no one disregard you because you're a Christian. Let no one disregard you because, well, you're not on staff. Or well, you're not an ordained elder or a pastor or a deacon or whatever. Let no one disregard you. Are you a child of the king? What more authority do you need to speak the gospel into the lives of people? You don't need any. That's it. The fact that your father has so commanded you to do so is all the authority you. Need. So when we leave this place, go boldly in the gospel of Christ by the spirit of Christ and carry with you the gospel, one thing that unites all Christians of every denomination, of every church, of every tribe, tongue, people in Asia. And don't let anyone disregard you just because you're a Christian and all you have to offer is the gospel. Because what the world needs more than anything else is that very same gospel. And what your brother and sister sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, needs more than anything else is the gospel. And with that in mind, I had a request this morning. I didn't think anybody liked these, but we're going to do one. This is called a benediction. And I'm going to go real old school church and do the original benediction. So in light of what we have just read, studied, and learned together, I'm going to ask you to please hold your hands out to receive the benediction, and I will raise my hands over you to give the benediction. Benediction just means good word. It is my prayer for you as you leave this place, go throughout the week, and do all the good deeds that have been prepared for you from before the foundation of the earth by your Father Jesus Christ. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen.